So Pastor Scott's been talking about the things that God wants to change in our lives. And um, he's been talking about New Year, New You. And then last week, Pastor Hazel talked about thinking bigger, asking bigger, and having bigger faith. And I wanted to pick up on that. And, you know, what's interesting is so often Pastor Yvette gets up here and says something, and I'll think to myself, okay, I do have the right message after all. Because she'll just kind of summarize it all in about in about three minutes, everything that I was uh, going to take thirty minutes to say, and uh, it's it's really interesting because um, she mentioned about God wanting to work on the calluses in our life and showing us what needs to change, and that's exactly what I want to talk about today because I want to talk about how change happens. And uh, I was going to read the story from you, but just to or for you, but just just to summarize it real quick for for the interest of time. John chapter three and verses twenty three to twenty six is a little story about John the Baptist, and uh, what happens? John the Baptist, as you'll as you may know, baptizes Jesus, and then some time goes by, and then there's this controversy that comes up, and um, it it. it it's rather interesting because a, a, a few sort of rabble rousers are trying to stir up trouble and they go to John's disciples and they say, hey, did you see that that Jesus guy is now baptizing people? And I thought I was counting and, you know, he's baptizing more guys than your John is. And so they go to John and they say, uh, what about that? Like, what what are we going to do about that? I mean, Jesus is now, you know, competition, right? And John and in, in the Gospel of John chapter 3 and verse 30 makes a statement that I think many of us have heard, but I want to just kind of unpack it at, at some depth today. He says to his disciples in response to this, he says "Jesus uh, about Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. And you know, as long as John kept in his heart and mind this idea that it was Jesus that had to flourish and he had to diminish, he did okay. But you know, if you keep reading the story, what happens is eventually John decreases to the point where he's languishing in Herod's prison. And he sends his disciples to Jesus and effectively says, okay, Jesus, like, is this for real or what? Like, are you going to do something about this? You, or are you just going to leave me here? And Jesus' response to John is to say, don't get offended with the plan of God in your life. Which is kind of an interesting answer. And and uh, essentially Jesus was saying, so you remember that part about you decreasing so that I can increase? Well, how low are you willing to go? You know, we're going to talk a little bit about changing today. And John was experiencing some change at that point, and it was uncomfortable, unexpected change. You know, if you're going to be inspired to change, you have to realize three things. And if this is not, this is not sort of profound insight. This is just pretty simple stuff. But you kind of got to know where you are now. You got to know where you could be. And then you've got to know that you could go there. Right? Where am I now? Where could I be? And do I have the capacity to get there? Um, so, you know, where are we now? You know, if we're actually going to change, and this kind of ties back to this question of God dealing with the calluses, you know, we have to begin by shedding some of our own insecurities. Sometimes, and I don't know about you, but it's certainly true for me, I put buffers around my life that are designed to keep people that I'm afraid of out. 
if I think somebody's going to hurt me, I kind of put some distance in there and sort of, but you know what's, what's unfortunate is sometimes those very buffers that we build to protect ourselves from hurt also tend to keep God out. And God wants to penetrate through those barriers and bring us to the place where we become accepting of who we are and who God has made us to be. I think sometimes the barriers that I put up to keep God out are because I'm afraid of who he's going to make me or what he's going to do in my life. And I'm sort of like, I don't know about you, but I've had this conversation with God way too many times where it's like, God, you know, I've just barely started to get comfortable with who I am, and now you want to change me. And I'm not so sure about that. And I, I, I don't know if, if you can relate to that, but, you know, eventually uh, we, we sort of bump into that thing. And I can tell you that, you know, I mean, I, I became a, a Christian. I gave my heart to Jesus at nine years old. So I've walked with God a long, long time. It's more than 50 years. And yet, somehow in that journey through my early adult years with all the insecurities that I carried into life, I really was not convinced that if God made me who he wanted me to be, that I might still like me. You know, it took me a long time to get comfortable with liking me, and now God wanted to change me. And I'm like, but how, like, into what? Right? Have you ever noticed God won't ever answer that question? We say to God, well, if you'd show me what you want to me to become, then I could kind of wrap my head around that, come into agreement with it, and say, yeah, that'd be awesome. I'd like to be that person. But God doesn't deal at that level. He says to us, I want you to change. And we say, okay, into what? And he says, I'll show you. Well, could you show me first? Uh, no, I'll show you when it's done. Mm. And that makes us afraid. It certainly made me afraid. But you know, what happens here is that God actually wants to take us further than we think we can go on our own. And what was happening with John is God was pushing John into a place where it was like, John, are you willing to submit yourself to my will or do you want what you think is best for you? And you know, when we come to the place where we're comfortable with the idea that we can trust God, we discover that God isn't going to stop at that comfortable place. He wants to take us further to a place where we can lay it all down and give it to him. And I've, I've often said this, and, and, you know, a little bit of humor is intended, but, but we'll get there. You know, Jesus came to give us life, but the only way to get it is to die. And it, it, it's one of those little paradoxes that we live in as Christians. And not die physically, but we'll talk about that. So, you know, where are we now? You know, I, where are you now? You desire to be used by God. You desire to have His anointing flowing in your life. But if you learn John the Baptist's lesson, are you prepared to decrease in order to get it? And the question then is, how far are you prepared to go? Are you actually prepared to give up your life for it? Now, you know, what does that mean? What is your life? Well, really, what what God is talking about here is what you value. Your money, your time, your ambitions, your career, that chance at a big promotion, your retirement fund. What is your life? What do you value? And, and we've got to understand that the answer to that question if we're going to know where we are now. What do we really value? 
And are we prepared to set that aside and say to God, if you want that, you can have it. And then the question is, where could we be? Because, you know, we're not going to change if we don't believe that things could be better than what they are. One of the things I've noticed in, in you know, in part of my career is, is in the HR world. And one of the things that I've noticed is that very, very often people don't change until the pain of staying the same starts to be more than the pain of change. And often if we just embrace change first, we could avoid a lot of pain. But I'm not sure that I do any better at anticipating that than anybody else does. You know, God has a vision and a destiny for you that's beyond what you presently understand. Think about Jeremiah 29:11. God says, I know the plans I have for you. They're plans to bless you, to prosper you, to give you a hope, to give you a future. Think about 1 Corinthians 2, 9, where Paul says, you know, really, we haven't even begun to imagine the amazing things that God has in store for us. God's willing to reveal those things to us, but, you know, really, we haven't begun to grasp the extent of what God will do with our lives if we'll let him. But the if we'll let him part means that we have to die, not physically, But we have to get to the place where, like John the Baptist, we recognize that I've got to decrease if he's going to increase. If God's going to become stronger in my life, the me part of me has to grow weaker. You know, I often call the kingdom of God the upside-down kingdom. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. I think in reality, it's the right-side-up kingdom. We live in the upside-down kingdom. But... I say that because so many things are the opposite of what you'd expect. You know, in the world, if you want to get ahead, you have to look out for your own interests. You have to work hard at promoting yourself and make sure you're properly rewarded for whatever you do. Don't let anybody take unfair advantage of you. If if you do something for somebody, you just make sure they owe you one. But you know, in the kingdom of God, the way up is down. 1 Peter 5 tells us, humble yourself under God's hand and he will exalt you in due time. The way up is down. The way down is up. And you know, it's a paradox because just as we start to become comfortable with ourselves and we become comfortable with who God created us to be, God starts to move in and say, now I want you to lay that down and become something bigger and different. You know, God has a plan for you. He has an awesome destiny for you. I I happen to believe this is absolutely true. If you even caught a glimpse of what God could fully do with your life, uh, it would be so exciting, you'd never be the same again. I'm convinced that that's true. What God wants to do with you so perfectly suits who he created you to be. I always labored under this idea that, and, and I'm going way back now to about 16, 17 years old. I had this idea that if, if I gave my life to God and genuinely said to God, you can do with my life whatever you want to do, that was a recipe for being miserable, uncomfortable. I, I, I was sure God was going to make me marry somebody ugly. You know, I mean, I just had this crazy idea in my head that what God really wanted was for me to be miserable for the rest of my life. You know, I 
I don't know about you. I've discovered that's not that unusual. I've discovered that the devil doesn't tell different people different lies. You know, the goofy thing is he doesn't have to make up too many lies. We all believe the same ones. And I discovered that God's plan for my life was absolutely the opposite of that. God wanted me to be so fulfilled and so rewarded and so full of joy that everything I did in life just gave me a sense of incredible fulfillment and satisfaction. But you have to die to self to get it. Now, when the Bible talks about dying to self, it's very interesting. It's not a kind of a passive, I'll just sit here and do nothing kind of a thing. It's like, okay, God, fine. You want to use my life? You know where I am. I'm just going to sit right here and wait. Hmm. Anytime. That's not dying to self. It's a very active kind of a process where we literally choose to kind of set aside our own preferences and our own desires and our own initiatives and our own reactions to things, and we choose to follow Christ and be what he is. So number one, we got to know where we are. Number two, you got to know you could be better. And then number three, you've got to believe you have the capacity or the capability to change. You know, you can change. You can allow God to make your life what he wants it to be. But you also have the capacity or the capability to hang on to the life you have now and refuse to change. I don't know, you know, how many of you have heard this before, but it is apparently true. And that is that natives many years ago used to use a very simple little technique to catch monkeys. And they would sell these monkeys for for whatever and, and uh, you know, to, to traders or whatever. And it was very simple to do. You just got yourself a gourd. You drill a hole in the side, you hollow it out through the hole, you let it dry until it's nice and hard, you put a couple of big heavy, like you push enough gravel and, and rocks in there to, to weight it down so a monkey can't carry it away, and you know, we're talking a fairly good sized gourd, and then you put a really nice, you know, a nut or something in there that the monkey wants. And the monkey comes along, looks through the hole, sees the nut, reaches in and grabs it, But when he's got the nut in his hand, his hand won't fit out of the hole anymore. And then they just walk up, throw a bag over its head and and take it. Because what would happen is the monkey would refuse to let go. It would actually rather be captured than to let go of what it had in its hand. It would hold on so tight that it would get captured. And, you know, I thought about that. And I thought, you know, like the monkey that can't get its hand out of the gourd, we tend to hold on to what we have because we have this kind of fear of letting go. For fear that what we get instead won't be anywhere near as good. You know, we have this crazy saying in English, don't we? We talk about the devil I know instead of the devil I don't. And some of us, you know, that's more real than... than then we give ourselves credit for. I mean, it is like, you know, it's this demonic thing that I'm holding on to now instead of the freedom that I would have, but it's what I know instead of what I don't. And we hold on. We hold on tight. What about the question, but pastor, I gave my heart to the Lord. I'm born again. Isn't that enough? Well, you know, the problem isn't in our spirit. The problem is in our mind. 
Our spirit is instantly reborn when we invite Jesus into our hearts, but it takes time to get our minds and our habits and our patterns of thinking and acting to change. I'm just going to put a verse up on the <laughs> on the screen here. It's, it's Romans chapter uh, 12, verses 1 and 2. And it's it's probably some of the verses I go back to more often than any other verses in the Bible. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, so I'm begging you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And it's that idea of being transformed by the renewing of your mind that I want to focus on for a little bit this morning. That word transformed is the same Greek word that we get our word metamorphosis from. A caterpillar doesn't come out of the cocoon as a a fuzzy caterpillar with wings. It's a completely different creature. You know, a tadpole and a frog, you'd never guess they were the same creature. The metamorphosis that happens is so dramatic that it changes the the, the animal completely. And what God is saying to us is that we've got to have our thinking changed to the place where we literally become so different that our lives after God starts to change how we think is so completely different from our lives before that people don't even recognize who we are. In another place, Paul says that God has made us into a new creation. And I love the Amplified Bible because it says God has made us into something that never even existed before. God just changes us so dramatically. See, we think that we understand what we have. And we think it's okay. But our minds are going to get us trapped like the monkey if we don't renew them with God's word. John the Baptist understood the principle. At least initially he did. Only when he'd faded into obscurity would Jesus' ministry be able to flourish like it should. I must decrease that he may increase, he said. But you know, once that meant that death in Herod's dungeon was right around the corner, he started to have second thoughts. Uh, Jesus, just how far down do I have to go? Surely you're going to rescue me before I die, aren't you? And Jesus just says, don't get offended. God knows what's best. And if that means you lose your head, then are you prepared to be a martyr? Think about this one. Eh, This could be a little controversial. And I'm not positive that I'm right here, but I I wonder sometimes when I think about Judas. I wonder if Judas didn't fall prey to the same thinking. You know, I'm not sure if Judas actually set out to have Jesus killed. I wonder if he was simply getting frustrated with God's timing. And he just looked at this whole thing and thought, i got to take this into my own hands. Jesus, you are missing it. This is the perfect opportunity. I don't know why you won't get a bunch of us together and lead a revolt against the Romans. See, he couldn't agree to become less. He thought that he and the other disciples were going to go down into obscurity, and his goal was to become famous. So he arranges to paint Jesus into a corner, so to speak. 
You know, in his mind, I wonder, and I don't know this for sure, but if he thinks to himself, you know, if I paint Jesus into a corner, if I put him in a situation where he absolutely has to do something dramatic or the Pharisees are going to kill him, then he'll have to make the big move. So he does it. And he sets the scene his way. He does what he thought was best. And then everything goes wrong. Badly wrong. Jesus ends up dead. And it's his fault. And he's so full of remorse. Because it's not hard to see your mistakes in hindsight. That he hangs himself rather to have to, than have to face the other disciples again. Now I don't know if that's theologically accurate. But, you know, I can relate personally to that idea of Judas because I don't know how many times in my life I've decided that God's way was taking too long. There was a better way or a faster way or an easier way for sure. And then when I did it my way, it made a mess. Right. And then I crawl back to God. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but it's kind of like you go back to God and you say, um, are we still friends? Like, I really messed that up. And it's because we want to do it our way. See, the new birth changes your spirit, but renewing the mind changes your soul. Okay, your spirit isn't the problem. When you're born again, your spirit is instantly renewed and you're on your way to heaven. But your soul, your mind, that's a different story. I want to show you a couple of verses of scripture and just point a few things out. Romans chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, and it says this, For much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now, what I want to point out is, do you see the difference in tense there? It says we were justified by his blood, but we shall be saved from wrath through him. It says we were reconciled to God, but we shall be saved by his life. It's like there's a past tense and there's a present tense. We are being saved. And then there's the future tense. We shall be saved. Look at Romans thirteen eleven. It says this, and doing this, knowing the time that now it is high time to wake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. 1 Corinthians 1, 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, there's an active kind of an ongoing process of salvation. I think what happens so often is we get this idea that I get born again and that's it. It's done. But I want to tell you, salvation is as much a process as it is an event. And incidentally, our bodies are not going to be saved until they're changed when Jesus returns or we go to be with him. That for a very good reason, is why healing is part of our covenant with, with God. is because, according to Romans 8, our bodies are subject to decay just like the rest of creation is. That's why Jesus had to pay the price for healing as well as for salvation. Because as long as we're stuck on this planet, we continue to slide downhill. You know, I'm here to tell you this morning, you can have a marriage made in heaven. You can have a job that you enjoy every day. You can have children that love you and serve the Lord. 
You can have friends that love and appreciate you and whom you love and appreciate. But you have to get into the process of being saved to get there. You have to get your mind renewed. You have to get your mind to stop getting in the way of what God wants to do in your life. Now, let me reinforce that. I want—I don't want you to misunderstand, okay? When we're born again, our spirit is as saved as it's ever going to get. We are blood-bought sons of God, and we're on our way to heaven. Jesus' death redeems us from sin and death and transforms us into the kingdom of light. The question is, what's next? And if there was nothing next, why didn't God just arrange it that as soon as people are born again, they just simply die and go home to glory? Like, why are we still on this earth? It's because we're expected to grow in him. Now, let me say it this way. Renewing the mind is more than just learning. It means changing. See, if I learn something but I don't apply it, it's of no benefit to me. Most Christians think this, and you're going to, you got to stick with me or it's going to sound like this is heresy, okay? Most Christians think if you just read the word and spend some time in prayer every day, you'll do all right. And they make the assumption that they'll automatically become stronger Christians if they do that. But unfortunately, I know many Christians who've done that all their born-again lives, and they're still not happy and prosperous and full of faith like God wants them to be. They still struggle to understand God's will. They still aren't sure of how and when God speaks to them. They still struggle with all kinds of temptation. See, if we just know or if we just learn, that's not enough. We have to change. You know, remember, Jesus says quite a bit about a person who hears and doesn't do. Right? He said, if you hear the word, even if you understand it and grasp it, but you don't do it, then you're like that guy that builds his house on the sand. And when trouble comes, the house falls. But if you hear it and put it into practice and actually let it work on you and let it change you and let it bring strength to you, then you're like the man who built his house on a rock. And when trouble comes, it stands strong. How do we change? Let me give you five thoughts here today. Five things about changing, and it is on the slide there, yeah. Number one, become aware of how we really think and believe. Who are you? Where are you now? How do you actually think? And does that actually line up? Because second, we've got to become aware of how God wants us to think. Where does the way that I think and the way that I believe get out of sync with the way that God wants me to think and the way that God wants me to believe. And then third, we got to focus our thoughts on God's thoughts. Now, a big part of that is reading the Word, reading the Bible to understand what God's thoughts are. But then number four, we've got to actually practice the thoughts of God until they're our own. See, even there, it's not acting the way God wants us to act that makes us change. It's thinking the way God wants us to think that creates change in our lives. And then, number five, we can live out the thoughts of God in everyday life. Now, 
couple of things, and I, I know my time is pretty much gone, but let me just let me just attach a couple thoughts here. Renewing the mind is a lifestyle, not an experience. You know, you cannot come up to the altar and have the pastor lay his hands on your head and receive a renewed mind. I wish, because I'd have got in that line a long time ago. You know, it's just like you can't cast out the flesh, right? You have to crucify the flesh. Those evil desires, those things that haunt us, that just drag us down. Sometimes, if it's demonic, let me tell you, you can cast it out and you can get free from those things. But a lot of times, it's not cast outable. It's the flesh. And we have to crucify it. That's the only way to get past it. You know, most of us have some areas where we're doing okay. We have victory over things we used to struggle with. But most of us also have areas where we don't do as well. Maybe you do okay with relationships, but you're terrible in finances. Maybe you're okay in finances, but you struggle with some compulsive habits like eating or pornography. Maybe you do okay with habits like that, but you get mad really easily. You have a really short fuse. It could be almost anything. And we have to realize that we have to renew our minds in every area of our lives. Whatever area is the least like Christ is the area that holds me back from doing God's will. Think about a ship that's got several anchors down to the bottom, holding it stuck. You know, if they lift all but one of the anchors, the ship is still stuck. But, you know, if you lift that last anchor just a little bit, as soon as it clears the bottom, that's it. The ship's free and it can start to move. You know, freeing up that one thing in your life might just be enough to release you into a new level in Christ. But, Pastor, I worked on this and then God worked on that and God worked on this and I'm starting to get tired of it. Don't give up. Don't give up. Because that one last thing could just be what it takes to move ahead. I'm going to leave it there for today because the time's gone and I had more, but that's all right. I got next week too. So I'm going to pick it up from there next week. Next week I want to tell, talk a little bit about what's a stronghold and how do we deal with strongholds in our mind? What is that anyway? And how do I move past that and get to the place where I can break free of those things? I'm going to talk about that next week. This week, you know, all I want to do really, first of all, as we always do, I just want to give anyone here or anyone listening on the web an opportunity. And you might say, hey, you know what? That whole salvation thing where God changes me, I need that. I need that encounter with God. And if you're here this morning or if you're listening on the web and you've never made a decision to accept Jesus into your heart, never made a decision to ask God to come into your life and change you from the inside out, then I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. So if you'd like to pray a simple prayer with me, if you're here today, I just want to ask you to do something. And that is if you just look my way, everyone else is going to bow their head just for a moment and close their eyes. And if you just look my way and lift a hand and say, Pastor, would you include me in that prayer? Because I want Jesus in my life. If you're here today and you'd like that, would you just lift a hand, look my way? Or maybe you're listening on the web and you'd say, Pastor, 
I, I need that today. You can pray this prayer with us here. We're just going to pray it out loud, everybody here. You pray this prayer along with us, and I promise you, God will touch your life right where you are right now, wherever you might be listening. And the prayer is just simple. It just goes like this. Heavenly Father, this morning I want to give my heart to you. I want to choose to live my life your way. I want to ask you today to come into my life to forgive me for the wrong things I've done and to help me to live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I want to close by just asking you that are here. If you're here and you sense in your heart that God is poking at something today and saying, I, I want to deal with this area in your life. I, I want to I want to bring change to you. I want to bring you through some things. You know, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. Sometimes in my life, God has started to poke at some things that I thought were pretty good. In fact, they were the things that he did in my life a few years ago and built some things in me. And then all of a sudden he starts poking at them and saying, okay, now it's time to let that go and move on. Wait a minute, God, you built that in me. But God says, no, but I've got more. You need to let go before I can give you something new. If you won't let go of the nut in the gourd, you're trapped. Sometimes we've got to let go before God can move us on. And you know, I just want to encourage you today, if that's you, would you just do something? Would you just stand up where you are? Don't be embarrassed. Whoever it might be, God's moving some things on in you and you're thinking, I'm not so sure. And I'm standing. I'm not just standing because I'm preaching. I'm standing because I'm standing, okay? Veronica and I have been praying some things through in this fasting time and saying, God, are you... What is it? What's next? What are you doing in our lives? And so, Father, you see those of us that are standing. And God, I think what we're saying by standing is we might be happily terrified at this idea that we have to decrease so that you might increase. But God, what we're doing is we're coming into agreement with with you and with your spirit this morning and saying, God, give us the courage, give us the strength, give us the wisdom, give us the the capacity to decrease in whatever area you've got your finger on so that we might increase in those things that you're calling us to. And God, for those of us that are standing this morning and perhaps those that are sitting but just wish they were standing but, but don't aren't sure and don't quite have the courage. God, would you begin to work in our hearts to give us that courage to let go so that we can receive. To let go of what we have so that you can give us something fresh today. And Father, I pray for each one standing that your thoughts would begin to transform our minds so that we would be renewed in our thinking to the place where we can begin to grasp and see the things that you're calling us to and the things that you want us to do. And we thank you for it today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 
Thank you, Lord. Well, we've got some coffee outside, and there's probably some snacks there somewhere. Don't run away too fast. Um, you know, it's an interesting thing. If, if the preacher goes over by five minutes, everybody feels like they're late and they leave right away. But if the preacher is early, everybody's still here by 1230, having all kinds of coffee and good stuff. So don't don't rush off. Enjoy a little time of fellowship. God bless you. Have an awesome week, and we'll see you next Sunday. And we'll see you tonight for prayer.